that sparked his career into working consulting with the FBI, uh, with Interpol, uh, with law enforcement agencies, you know, around the world uh, to help learn, you know, if, if these are really gory stories, but, you know, when a body is found, you know, and it's, it's gotten to this position where they, they can only, you know, learn so much by, uh, by looking at it, um, they would ask him to recreate it on the body farm, and he would. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories, and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Did you know that, according to research, only about one-third of the prospects fundraisers like you get thrown on their caseloads are truly qualified? And even fewer are actually ready for your outreach. Think about that. If you're like most, two-thirds of the leads you've been getting are not really qualified to be on your list. Sure. They might have given in the past, and their wealth screen ratings might be high. But if they won't accept your outreach, what good is all that research anyway, right? It's a serious problem, but there is a solution. And you can find it in Greg Warner's book titled Engagement Fundraising, which you can get right now at no cost whatsoever at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's right. You can learn how hundreds of organizations and thousands of fundraisers are succeeding in today's era of fundraising climate change by grabbing your free digital copy or audiobook version of Greg's very popular book today. Get it now, 100% free. Engagement fundraising at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. Hey everybody, welcome back to One Visit Away. Um, this episode contains stories involving someone who spent a lot of time working in forensics. And because of that, I'm just giving you all a warning now. There's a little bit of content in this episode that might not be appropriate for young children. So if you happen to be listening to this in front of kids, I would probably recommend skipping this episode for now and picking it up another time when you can listen to it by yourself. Yeah, we've got another great episode this week with Dr. J. Travis McDearman, who is a development officer and adjunct professor at Butler University in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's also the founder of Role Identity Solutions, a company dedicated to providing customized assessments to help nonprofits discover new donor prospects. Travis received his Ph.D. in higher education and sociology, from the University of Kentucky in 2011. His research on philanthropy and alumni role identity has been published in peer-reviewed research journals, including research in higher education and the International Journal for Educational Advancement. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Travis McDearman. Well, thanks so much for being a guest on One Visit Away. Travis, great to meet you. Hey, it's great to meet you too, Kevin. Thank you for the invitation. Been looking forward to this, and uh, I think we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah, for sure. So if you could tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I'm a gift officer for Butler University, which is located in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm also an adjunct faculty member for the Department of Arts Administration at Butler, and I'm also the founder 
of Rural Identity Solutions, which is a organization that I started to uh, create customized assessments for organizations who are wanting to dig a little deeper into their donor base. Hmm. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. I'm, I'm curious and uh, I'm sure our listeners are as well. So I did, um, I did my doctoral work at the university of Kentucky actually it's been about two, 10 years ago. And my dissertation was on a topic called role identity and its relationship with, um, philanthropic behaviors. And what we found was that, you know, those who had a role identity or used an organization in their sense of self were more likely to um, act out the behaviors that are really desired by the organization, including giving, volunteering, recruitment. We went to a bunch of different activities in that way. Uh, That research has been replicated four times at, at institutions and now has been moved over into the nonprofit world, looking at both donors and patrons. Uh, so take like museums and zoos, and, you know, public facing organizations that way. And we're finding similar results. You know, those who highly identify with these organizations or almost self-identify with these organizations um, are more likely to give and more likely to volunteer, more likely to come back. Uh, many, many things that uh, there, there are a lot of applications for real identity. I think it's I'm calling it uh, the new metric for uh, for donor relations, and hopefully, you know, that'll take off someday. Yeah, that's cool. So, so we could probably talk uh, for several hours about that, but I'll leave. Um, you might have already said the website, but you could. Do you have a website, or where can yeah. people find out more about that? Yeah, it's uh, www.rollidentity.com, and uh, okay. you can find me on LinkedIn as well, and all of the. Uh, writing that I put out sometimes a little out in left field, but I do that on purpose. Um, No, no, I love it. You're always putting (laughs) out, putting good stuff out there. So, so we can, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things we could talk about, but you've got, you sent me a list of stories that I'm just on the edge of my seat to hear more about. And we'll begin with the first one involving Mr. B, Dr. B, Dr. You call him. So yeah. Could you tell us about that? So Kevin, this is, 2021 actually is the 10th year that I've been in major gift roles. And as you can imagine, over, over that amount of time, you know, I've had an unbelievable amount of, of interactions with people. And very early on, and this is where Dr. B comes in, I learned that this job is just extremely unique because it allows us to learn about people, allows us to learn about jobs, interest, some things that we just may not have thought possible. And it, I knew a little bit of that going in, but did not know the full scope of it until I met Dr. B. Um, so for those uh, who are familiar, uh, at the University of Tennessee, they have what's called the body farm. Now, anybody who watched The Blind Side realized that Michael Orr was terrified of the University of Tennessee because of that reason. Uh, but also Patricia Cromwell, if you're a big fan of her novels, uh, they're all based upon stories from The Body Farm. And um, Dr. B was the founder of The Body Farm and also an alum of the institution that I was working, was a prospect of ours, and I went down to Knoxville to meet him. So imagine yourself. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Let me me press pause. So I haven't seen The Blind Side, and I I ran out of time to look this up before we spoke, but it's better that you just tell me and all of our listeners that are ignorant, what exactly is The Body Farm? Well, so The Body Farm, um, it was the first lab, first really officially funded lab in the United States that... Uh, focus their research on human decomposition for the purposes of law enforcement. Um, so Dr. B, he came out of the army. I think it was in Korea. He was in the psychology department uh, there, ended up going into uh, anthropology. And that's where he became interested in forensics. And at that time, you know, forensics was almost nothing. Um, you know, if a, if a body had been found, uh, it was, it was guesswork and his interest. And again, how do you come up with this kind of interest led him down a path where he, uh, he wanted to study this further and did that through his doctoral work. And then eventually took it on to his faculty position and then founded the body farm. Um, and it is literally a farm. Like the lab itself was was originally underneath the um, the stadium at the University of Tennessee, which is where Michael Orr and the Blind Side comes in. So when they were recruiting him, uh, there were people who did not want him to go there, and they used that as a way to scare him. At least that's the legend, you know. If this was this was, it was based upon a real book, but that could have been fictionalized. Um, but the farm itself was an actual farm. I mean, that they would take donated cadavers and they would study decomposition based upon environmental factors on uh, how someone you know came to be deceased. And that sparked his career into working, consulting with the FBI, uh, with Interpol, uh, with law enforcement agencies you know, around the world. Uh, to help learn, you know, if, if uh, these are really gory stories, but, you know, when a body is found, you know, and it's it's gotten to this position where they, they can only, you know, learn so much by, uh, by looking at it, um, they would ask him to recreate it on the body farm, and he would. So, so imagine yourself as a <laughs> gift officer on a first visit with this guy who's at this point 80 something years old. So he had been doing it for 50 <laughs> years uh, and still working. So imagine yourself, yeah, you know, sitting with him in, in his living room and him just telling you these unbelievable stories about some of the things that he has, uh, that he has worked on and just, you think, how do you sleep at night? One, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was hard enough for me to sleep the night after. But, yeah, he starts telling you, man, you you've got some interesting uh, compositions there. I'd like to see how nature would uh, what nature would do on you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here on the podcast, but I mean, there, it, you know, a lot of times they actually had to set up crime scenes. You know, so imagine the body is found and there's, God, I, I hate saying this out loud on a podcast, but there's a hole in their head. Okay. Yeah. 
they have to, in order to study that properly, they have to put that hole in the head in the manner in which they believe it happened. (laughs) Okay. Uh. And it's just, it was, because the point of of why (laughs) I brought this story to you is because that was the point. I mean, I was only about a year into being a major gift officer at that point, maybe a little, even a little less, where it hit me that, my gosh, I have the opportunity to interact with, build relationships with, um, learn from some of the most interesting people in the world that I would not have the opportunity to do if I was not in the position I was in. Um, and I mean, any gift officer is going to have stories that are of amazing people who've done amazing things. And that's part of the job. And, and, and that's why when you and I were conversing, you know, over email and LinkedIn, I made the, the comment that if you don't have a general interest in people, you know, if you don't have a general interest in what people do in the lives they live, you can be successful at this job. But you may not get as much enjoyment out of it uh, as you possibly could have. Uh, and I've, I've taught that a lot for for students, for uh, mentees, you know, as training new gift officers. Just saying, you know, the number one thing you need to have going into a visit for the first time with somebody is just a general interest in them. And that's where you need to take it from there. Uh, and I learned that from Dr. B and walking away thinking, how would have I ever been in front of this guy? And, and heard what I heard, and um, and then also worked with him on his gift to uh, the institution. So you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't just about me going and listening to him talk. It was a lot of work, and um, you know, we got a, a, a gift out of it. So yeah, so, how did, <laughs> yeah so, so so did you know who he was before? Like when you were scheduling the visit, did you know who he was, or did you was this revealed to you once you were already meeting with him? I did not know the scope of who he was. Uh, I mean, I was working at a university. uh, The university knew who he was. And uh, the department, of course, I mean, he's he's actually quite famous, especially in the research world. Um, And I did my basic research on him, but I I didn't go beyond really the database and, and what I took away from previous gift officers who had met with him before. You know, I didn't do the Google search at that point. You know, I was pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty young in my career <laughs> thinking, and you know, I had 10 other visits to do in the two days I was there. So uh, I did my basics uh, for the discovery. And, but once I got there, you know, that's when I realized who he was. And then I learned more about him and then interacted with him many more times afterwards. Um, and always had those stories. Always yeah. had those stories. <laughs> did, did he... So you and I are talking about this as like, man, that is the craziest job you could ever have kind of thing. D- did he recognize that his career path was pretty strange? Or was he just like, yeah, like, you know, everybody wants to grow up and be the body farmer. Like <laughs> he, he absolutely recognized it. He uh, was in a very unique position that his career went in a very unique path. Uh, but he also recognized the good that he did in the world. Um, and, that, and, you know, and that's where the philanthropy came in. You know, that's why I was standing there because he had done great work, unfortunately for people who uh, were no longer with us, but was, were serving justice. Um, and he wanted to continue that. He wanted to continue that with 
future students at other institutions so that this work will continue. And uh, I mean, he's still alive today um, in his nineties now uh, still does consulting work, you know, so yeah. So very, very interesting man. And um, just really, again, just what I took away from him wasn't just an interest in forensics or, you know, a fascination with it at that point. It was more just, you know, I, I have to go, I, I do, I do need to go deeper, you know, when I meet with donors and I found out that that was the fun part. And that's where I really began to enjoy this job more because I wanted to learn more from everybody. I with. You know? Yeah, that's phenomenal, man. Well, that's a, <laughs> that is definitely the most unique person I've heard of someone, someone visiting with. Um, and I'm trying to think, yeah, I don't even know what else to say about that. Just I, I feel like I would have been very creeped out the <laughs> the entire time. Well, the great, you know, the, another great thing was again he had worked with Patricia Cromwell, you know, the best selling author, and he himself later in life started writing books as well. And he would give me a book every time I came. <laughs> so I have I have a collection of Doctor B books that he'd sign and give them to me, and uh, they were fictional books, but they're all based upon uh, you know investigations that he worked on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I walked away with a piece of this as well. <laughs> hey, everybody. First time we're doing this, but now we're going to have a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. So when it comes to investing in my own business, I'm a bit of a cheapskate. But I've made one significant financial investment in my consulting business over the last two years. You've heard me mention it every episode since January 1st. My website. Every speck of my one visit away branding, my website, and everything you see visually from me was created by Jacob Laskowski with 86 Creative. Jacob made it so easy to hire him because he made it very clear to me from early on that he was there to serve me, to help me, and he helped me a number of times with branding and strategy even before I paid him anything. So by the time I was ready to establish my brand and elevate the work I was doing, I knew Jacob was the person to hire. Jacob and his team at 86 do incredible work creating brands for nonprofits. And if you want to elevate your mission, I cannot recommend them enough. Your brand is the first thing prospective benefactors are going to interact with when they encounter your organization. So don't make it look like some high school kid from back in the 90s designed your website for you. When you present a professional, clear brand and message, you set yourself up to look like the type of organization someone would invest a million dollars into. Check out his website at elevateyourmission.com and see the work that has led people like me to trust him with building a strong brand. And now back to the episode. Oh man, that's incredible. Now, yeah, so so you're just working with all kinds of doctors because the next story you wanted to share involves a dentist, correct? Yeah, so doctors doctors are actually very difficult to work with. I mean, I don't know if uh, how many people you've had on here or you yourself. Uh, not because they're difficult people in their own right. They are, um, they're just busy. <laughs> you know, their schedules are, are very, very hectic. So my, my job that brought us back here to Indianapolis was at the, uh, Indiana University School of Dentistry. And, um, uh, yeah, this story involves Dr. W. I think I, I think I put the wrong letter when I wrote to you, but he was one of our faculty members, um, and in in medical schools, dental schools, uh, any of your medical professions, your faculty uh, usually have two or three roles. 
they will be full-time faculty. Uh, they will be researchers. Um, they will have private practices either in the school or even outside the school, which Dr. W did. So very successful people, of course, dentistry or medicine. I mean, you know, very successful financially, but he had been essentially overlooked well, uh, from, you know, the development offices for, for years. The interesting thing about him was uh, I had heard his name before I ever started. And I heard his name because my wife took a job a week before I did at the Indianapolis Zoo. She works in development as well. I had a week between you know, her job starting and my job starting. So I went to the zoo, <laughs> walked around on a nice you know, sunny day and met with some of her staff. And, and several times when I said where I was going to go work, they brought up Dr. W. So I'm already, you know, prime for who this guy is and come to find out he was the volunteer dentist for the zoo and had been doing this at that point, pushing up to 40 years wow. that he had been volunteering his time to go and do dental work on, um, on the animals and started off, you know, in the early seventies at a time when they did not have dental programs for, uh, you know, large animals. So much of what he had to do very early on, he had to, um, he had to improvise, you know, he had to do it himself. And he just, yeah, I, I, until now I had no idea that animals ever had dental work done. Right. I mean, well, <laughs> it was actually an interesting, you know, his entry into it was, it was an interesting story. Um, he was right out of dental school. He was, he told me he was working at the, uh, the prison, which is very common for, for uh, new dental students to work at a prison or a VA or something like that. And he got a call from a buddy who was a keeper at the zoo and worked with the lions. And they said that they had given the lion a bowling ball to play with, you know, because <laughs> lions can play with bowling balls <laughs> and it chipped its tooth on the, uh, you know, in the holes of, of the bowling ball. Oh. And, um, they asked him to come and look at it. Of course, you know, <laughs> imagine getting the call. Hey, will you come look into the mouth of a lion? <laughs> Yeah, it's like I'm I'm going straight from from murderers to lions. To lion, uh, maybe that was his thought pattern at the time. You know, I don't know. But um, so he went in, and you know, they 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 have a vet hospital, and they they put the lion under, and he he looked at the tooth, and he knew then exactly what to do. You know, that I needed to he needed to do root canal or something, whatever it was. Um, and but again, you know, like instruments that would be used on humans could not be used. Yeah on the, you know, the teeth of, of a lion just because they're, they're just so much more dense than ours. Yeah. So he actually went home and made the instruments himself. <laughs> this is how smart and fascinating these kind of people are. Uh, and then went in and, and fixed. And then after that, he just started, he just kept getting the calls, you know, mm -hmm. Hey, can you come look at the elephants? Can you come look at the walrus? Can you come look at, and he just kept doing it for 40 years and never once asked for anything. Uh, never once, took a salary, never once, you know, said, I need something for materials. Uh, yeah. His only request was uh, when we're with the dangerous animals, will you please make sure that they're asleep? Yeah. <laughs> and he does have a few stories of them coming to wake. Uh, where oh, he had to get out very quickly. Um, <laughs> <you> know, so, <laughs> but yeah, so here is so here's a guy, you know, he, he works at the school that I, that I am, uh, that I am currently employed 
you know, where, where my focus is in fundraising, he has a passion at another organization. And even regardless of my marital status to the person, you know, who, who introduced me to the idea of Dr. W, um, there was an opportunity there for building a connection and building a relationship with him by utilizing the connection that he had to the other organization. And that itself propelled me to have deeper conversations with he and his wife, who was also a dentist, uh, for giving opportunities and to do so with the other organization. And, you know, so the kind of the lesson learned there was, Regardless, in many cases, our, our, our prospects that we are visiting with and that we are meeting with, they have multiple philanthropic interests. We all know that. And what happens and what naturally occurs is that we will take we, we'll take on that competition mode again. So we'll, we got to get more than they, you know, and that's, that's how it's going to work. From my experience, again, I'm, I'm 10 years in. It's not a long time, but it's at least a good amount of time. I'm, I'm learning that, um, you know, many of them try to do it uh, equally amongst their primary interest. Um, if they are meeting with a major gift officer from both organizations, that means they are serious about, you know, going forward with that. And they may have other multiple interests, but they're only going to meet or, you know, they're only going to sit in checks or whatever. So the utilizing the connections of other gift officers in our community um, was kind of, again, the big takeaway from there that we're not in competition. You know, we're actually in this together. And if we work this together and we show that this cooperation, that's going to show to the donor how authentic we are in making sure that we're doing the best for our organizations and for them. You know, and that's kind of the key there is that we're doing the best for them. Uh, I, I've ran into this several more times since um, you know, Dr. W and have found great success in working with, you know, a, a donor who has multiple interests and even sometimes meeting that gift officer who is very resistant, you know, who doesn't want to, to let go of the leash. Um, but, you know, working through that and, and, doing what I can to, to help show that this is the best thing for all of us. And in, you know, this is the best thing for the donor, which is really the most important thing that we need to be focusing on uh, with this particular idea. So yeah, again, another interesting person, you know, again, that goes back to my original thought. <laughs> He's absolutely fascinating people. He actually built a prosthetic leg for a flamingo <laughs> just for the heck of it. He yeah. was, he was, you know, he had done a procedure. He was walking through, he saw a flamingo that had an amputation. Flamingos are fine with amputations, but he thought, I wonder if I could build a prosthetic leg. And he did. Wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, crazy. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of people that are out there and we get to meet with them. We get to, we get to have relationships <laughs> with them. Yeah. How lucky are we? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what'd you do over the weekend? Oh, you know, I went to a basketball game. How about you, you know, built a prosthetic leg for a flamingo? Yeah. Or a typical Saturday night. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I had nothing else going on, you know. Yeah. I didn't have a family and a private practice and a faculty <laughs> job or anything else. I built a prosthetic leg. You know, why not? <laughs> oh, man. So, so can you, can you share any uh, information of like, 
you know, what happened with those, those relationships. Like I'm curious, had he, obviously he was super involved with the zoo and helping out in all these ways. Was he giving financially at that point? And did that like change over time? Or maybe that's a story for your wife to share one day. But uh, Well, it is uh, because, you know, once I, you know, I'm not going to make myself a hero here, but once I got involved um, on the, on my side, you know, I went back and realized that he has just by the way he spoke of this work that he does with the organization, with, with, with the zoo, that his, he has an extreme passion there. And, and you all need to pay attention to this, you know? So yes, he was giving to both organizations. Um, in that particular case, then his giving uh, was elevated for both organizations as we were working together uh, to make this happen. Again, that that's just courtesy from one gift officer to another of, hey, you know, I've met with this person who's a donor of ours, but boy, they talked a lot about you and just wanted you to know that and wanted you to mm-hmm. understand, you know, we're working on with this gift. I don't know what you have on you going together, but we can work together. I think that needs to happen more in our profession. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see a lot of people turned off by it. Right. You know? and, and and to further that point, you know, you were talking about there's this idea that, you know, we want to get more than them or that kind of thing. I, I think part of it is also um, part of it. I, it goes back to this a lot of times as gift officers, we struggle with knowing what it's like to be able to give $25,000 to several organizations, you know, like, and, and so to us, it's like, well, if they give that 25,000 to us, that means that they can't give it to them or kind of thing. And it's like, right. well, sometimes they can just do both or, you know, like, <laughs> right. I mean, Mackenzie Scott's $4.2 billion over how many organizations, you know, <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, you know, there's, there's a lesson there to tell you. There's more money than that four point two billion dollars behind that. So let right, yeah. She, she's don't not worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she'll be all right. It's uh, it's you know, do I? <laughs> right. I well, I'll stop my comments there. But but yeah, people people that can give that kind of money have a lot of money. Um, yeah, you made a good point though, and and I see this a lot. I, I've I've had the great pleasure of mentoring quite a few new gift officers. And and, and that's been one of the better experiences, you know, of of my career in this is to be able to do that. And I see that a lot, you know, Hey, you know, Hey, I I heard that they're working with this organization too. Don't worry about that. You know, that that's not one. If you want to help work with them, you can, you don't have to um, because you have your focus here, but don't worry about the financial side of things. They're not going to run out. You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's let's be honest here. They're the people that we are really talking about in these types of situations. They're not going to run out. You know, they're not yeah. topping out. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah. I think that's a tremendous point. And uh, let's see. You've uh, so your your next story here. You've got some involving some board members. Uh-huh. Yeah, so this was so this was when I jumped out of higher education for a little while, and first of all, learned the difference between 
big shop and small shop. You know, I'd been at state universities, you know, and now jumping into a small nonprofit and had the opportunity to, and this was a membership organization. So the two, the two individuals, uh, Lou and Drew, uh, who were on our board, there was automatically a connection, you know, because of, of the membership side of things. But what I found absolutely fascinating, you know, we had a, we had a governing board. It wasn't a working board, but their interest in me almost outweighed any information and anything that I was trying to gather, you know, as, from the stories that you just heard from Dr. W, Dr. B, um, from these two guys. They were more interested in helping me, not only helping the cause, but helping me in, in, in reaching my goals and seeing that my priorities are put into place uh, with the organization that I was in, then they were the you know letting me into their world. Of course, we did. We did. We have a great relationship, and these are both two individuals that I'm on you know text message uh, contact with. And even though it's been now two years since I left that organization, um, but it was it was beyond anything I had seen yet. In my career, and, and now at this point, I was you know seven, eight years into into working in major gifts, and the way that they just went, how much they went out of their way to help me get to know me, learn who I was, why was I there, what motivated, you know, and and what that kind of taught me was something that I had already I had known, but just had never really been able to uh, put into kind of cognitive process of what was going on. These individuals that we meet with and work with and build relationships, they're as interested in us as we are in them. You know, otherwise they wouldn't be sitting across the table or across the screen or, you know, whatever it is um, in the first place, you know, if they had absolutely no interest in me as a person, then they would talk to me, you know, to, to do the transaction and then move on. But when you're getting to the point where you're having dinners with them, when you're, you know, you're going, you're having experiences with them and, you know, you're actually, I actually climbed a mountain in Phoenix with one of those. Um, you know, that is, that is beyond just them being a, a gift officer board member relationship. You know, that is a, a very intimate relationship, which I found that I had, I had, had good relationships. But I never had that good and then kind of with, as with Dr. B, me having that now drive to learn more about these people and gather more info and my interest just being sparked. Now I have this drive that I want this level of relationship with as many of my prospects as I possibly can, because that made it so much better. The giving part of it, you know, when we came to those conversations, it was the small footnote you know, of a dinner that we were having, you know, at, at some time. Um, they were interested in getting to know my wife, my family. I was interested to in know them. I met, you know, a lot of their uh, family members. And it was just really interesting to see how, how that uh, transpired. And I think a lot of gift officers, again, maybe will withhold a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about younger Travis here, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going into this visit. I need to gather all this info from this prospect because I have to help out this my organization. 
So if they start asking me questions about me, I need to answer as quickly as possible and then move on. Well, no, if that's what they want to talk about, and that's what they want to talk about, um, allowing ourselves to open up and be vulnerable in that way is, I mean, that's just relationship one-on-one. That's friendship. You know, that's, that's just human nature taking over and allowing that process to work into the, to what we do and how we are helping our organizations. It's only going to strengthen our organizations. Uh, so these, these two, again, we're, are very, very special people. They're very special to me. Their families are too. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from them and, and, and they still, to this day, if I'm in their particular neighborhood, uh, we still get together. We still act as if, you know, I was employed at that organization. Uh, nothing yeah. has, has changed at all, except for maybe the conversation, you know, because it's usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's awesome. And the, uh, you know, w- one of the things that makes me think of is, you know, when you were talking about just kind of like rushing through, if I ask a question about questions about ourselves, because we got to, you know, get back to business or whatever mm-hmm. we wanted to accomplish. Um, you know, sometimes people feel like, you know, I've got this visit. It's my one shot. And like, this is it kind of thing. And I think, you know, remembering that like, these are long term relationships and showing the importance of like, not just going to see somebody once a year, but like being in regular communication with them, allowing for these opportunities to, you know, have that chance to just talk about whatever and not feel like you're rushed to to you know do whatever you have to get done kind of right thing. i mean the one of the interesting stories about these two um so i had met drew at our first board meeting when i started at the organization and we hit it off very quickly um you know i then had done a lot of research on all our board members because they were our best donors as well well he actually lived in london um and would travel back back and forth between the States and London quite often. Well, just by chance, my wife and I had booked a trip to London that year. Um, and you know, here I am meeting him. He says, Oh, well I have to host you then, you know? And so here I am on my, on my vacation and I'm being hosted uh, to dinner with he and his wife, um, you know, and they're, you know, they're flat in London. And then we go out in a few places, they go to a few pubs and he shows us around and we just, that again, it just blew me away. It's like he just went out of his way so far. Someone who is a CEO of a, of a very successful company went out of his way for an almost entire day to entertain me and my wife on our vacation. Um, and it was nothing to you know. It was just it was just a part of of who they are. And it, it also taught me well. No wonder he's as successful as he is. It, this is the level of relationships he's building, you know, in, in, in while he's been building his business and, and doing that, that um, it was really, again, one of those very special moments that I'll always remember. And we'll always go back and talk about when we get together um, because it was, it was unique. It was fun. Uh, it, it just solidified, you know, where we were heading uh, as, gift officer, board member, donor, whatever, uh, from the very beginning. I mean, this was within six months of meeting him. So, uh, and has continued on from there. And, and like I said before, 
and I doubt I'm going to be meeting a lot of prospects in, you know, in Europe, uh, you know, <laughs> that often in my career. So you take advantage of the situations when you get them. Um, but it does make me want to have these deeper relationships. And, it, and from what I've, from what I've gathered, it starts a lot with them learning about who I am. Uh, and I'm open to that now, you know, I'm fine yeah. with that now. I'll answer those questions. Uh, I will not hide anything. Yeah. And I think that's another important point is, you know, so, so they offered like, Hey, like let us host you when you're in England. And a lot of times like people will make offers like that, whether it's, let me host you while you're in England or, Hey, let me, let me buy you and your team lunch or like something like this. And sometimes our response is like, no, no, I don't want you to, I don't want you to have to go out of your way. And and what we don't realize is we're denying them the opportunity to do something that would bring them great joy. And, and so, so, so I think that that was something hard for me to learn was like to, to, to accept things like that. And, you know, to be able to receive something kind of personally um, in that way, that that was something that was a big like learning point for me a few well, years ago. One of the first uh, <clears throat> gift officer mentees that I had, and she sought me after, you know, like we had, we had met, we worked at the same organization we'd met, and she kind of came to me and said, you know, I'm pretty new to this. Can, can you help me through it? Yeah. Uh, and, but just kind of one of those by chance conversations we were talking, and she said, you know, it's ama- I'm, I'm having all these visits, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm getting so far with them, but, does it bother you ever how much money we're spending on uh, meals and, you know, drinks? And, and I looked at her and said, I don't spend any money on meals, drinks, or, <laughs> and, and I'm not talking about my money. I'm talking about the organization. Right. Money. Right. She said, what do you mean? Well, so, well, they always pay. They always pick up the check. Yeah. She said, wait a minute. I'm not allowed to let them pick up. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no such thing as you're not allowed to let them pick yeah, up the yeah. check. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, again, your point earlier. There's no money's not going to run out, you know, after dinner I, with these people. Yeah. Plus, plus, it, it's just so <laughs> absurd the idea that, like, hey, I'm going to spend twenty dollars on your lunch, but remember, it's your money because it's the organization right. that's paying. And you're about to give us. <laughs> and even if you take that part, like you can factor that out. Um, yeah. Like you said earlier, you're denying them something that they want to do for you. Right. You know, many like I've always had I've had traveling positions for most of my yeah. career. So I'm you know going to different places around the country. And, you know, I, I've heard multiple, multiple times that, my gosh, you, you know, what you've spent to come out here just to see me is worth the price of this, you know, meal or whatever we're doing yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, when I tried it, when of course, you know, just being polite, trying to fight back at getting the check. Um, but yeah, I, I find that really hilarious. With these new gift officers. Well, I, I, I can't do that. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Take yeah. it. That, that's, that's, that's them also helping the organization. That's them built, continuing their relationship with the organization. That was probably there before you were in the first place. Um, don't, like you said, I love the way you put that. Don't deny them that, um, don't deny them the opportunity to get to know you, to help you out, to help the organization out, whether it's 
helping you with the meal, putting you up for a night or, uh, you know, making that big gift that you're going for. Don't deny it. Uh, let it happen. Yeah. It's, it's That's what we're there for. But, yeah. Well, you know. One of the only times I had to pay for a meal, like I, I say I had to because the the benefactor made me essentially. Oh, I've had, yeah, I've had plenty of those. Trust me. But, I've but, but this, this was funny because he, we were at Cracker Barrel. And now this is a guy who, well, he sold one business that he owned 100% of with no debt for $300 million. <laughs> And that's that's just one of his many massive successes. Right. And so we're at Cracker Barrel and we had breakfast. And well, it's kind of a long story, but we had breakfast and then we left and we came back and he wanted to get some pie. And I think I might have shared this on another episode, but but he paid for breakfast. And so when we got the pie, this guy is pretty old. And he was like, all right, since I paid for breakfast, you're paying for this. Right. And I was like, Yes, absolutely, and, uh, and and you know that was, but 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 to him, it was very important that I actually paid for it, and so I, I always keep cash with me, and you know made sure it was that was one of you know my personal <laughs> investments in the in the visit. But I always just thought that was funny that the guy with that level of wealth was like, "I'm not getting the pie, buddy." Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I've gone so far getting the pie. Yeah, I've had to explain, you know, uh, odd purchases to uh, financial officers plenty of times. Yeah, uh, you know. So why did you buy a bottle of wine and flowers at Whole Foods? Well, because they invited me to their house for a, a lovely evening. And oh, by the way, they have given us seven figures worth of contributions at this point. I think my you know, $25 is justified. Um, yeah. So I mean, my, my encouragement to you know, those listening or to my mentees was, you know, don't, don't push the check on them. You know, <laughs> you right. 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 Uh, but I just thought that yeah, was funny. Most, that, yeah. That she was like, most, oh, of the time gonna, yeah. <laughs> most of the time they'll want to pay. That they do. So. Again, that's because they're philanthropic people. You know, right. the, the, we're not meeting with people who don't want to help out. Yeah, I think that lesson gets lost a lot mm. in, in, in little policy situations like the one that I just talked about. Yeah. We're, we're talking about people who are philanthropic to the core and, and the people who have probably helped out others uh, career wise, uh, you know, in many different capacities outside of formalized philanthropy in ways that we will never know in ways that have probably changed people's lives forever. Um, and again, that's another one of those unique things about this position. Is these are the type of people that we are meeting with and that we are building relationships with. You know, they can be titans of industry, but that doesn't mean they're, uh, you know, Gordon Gecko on Wall Street. I mean, that's, that's not, you know, who all of these people are, even though the ultra rich, you know, or the one percent have a. Uh, stigma, you know, attached to them. Yeah, I've seen some of the most remarkable things come from uh, these people, and and they're 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 just down to earth too. And I think that also just kind of grounds them and why they find philanthropy so rewarding, and what makes the experience of this job so rewarding in itself. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been a great episode, Travis. Any uh, any final words you'd like to share with people or? Uh, things you'd like to promote? 
Not necessarily. You know, I really like the direction in which you, you're going with this show. I really like how you push out every day that it, it is more about, you know, more visits, more visits. And I know that you're doing it in a way not because of metrics or numbers and, you know, meeting quotas, that kind of thing. It's because of exactly the conversation that we just had. It's building new relationships. It's finding more interesting people. It's doing more good. And in the grand scheme of things, it's allowing those who really want to, to do more good. And you're being the catalyst to do that. So doing those visits, getting more visits, you're only allowing more people to fulfill something that they want to do. Uh, So I, I really like the post that you put out. I mean, I know, I know I, I play devil's advocate every now and then. That's just yeah. how, that's how I am. You know, when, when you get a PhD, you, you use it. Okay. Uh, and you do that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, but grand scheme of things. No, this, this is a great message that you put out. And I'm very appreciative of being, uh, being allowed to come on here and just tell these few stories. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being a guest, Travis. And yeah, everybody go connect with, with Travis J. Travis McDearman mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. He's always posting great stuff too and thinking about things in different ways and has some great articles out there. And uh, yeah, it's been great getting to know you through that. And uh, I'm sure this is going to be a popular episode. And I'm probably going to have to, I'm going to do a little intro to uh, just warn people of some of the content, <laughs> right content. You're listening with. Uh, no, I mean, the yeah, the graphic content <laughs> with uh, f- phenomenal stories and. Uh, Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show, Travis. Great to have you. Thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate it. That was Travis McDearman with Butler University. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn or go to my website, onevisitaway.com. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps tremendously in allowing the show to grow and get some more people. I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from meeting somebody who's studied decomposing bodies for a lifetime, or possibly someone who in their spare time wants to put prosthetic legs on a flamingo.